0: Welcome to the 17th episode of the Cornell Policy Review podcast. My name is Agosa Asimoda, and I am the senior content editor at The Review. This podcast will explore a variety of policy issues through interviews with figures from around the world. In this episode, Nadam Mahmood, editor in chief of The Review, sits down with Sarah Pierce, a policy analyst for the U.S. Immigration Policy Program at the Migration Policy Institute to discuss the immigration policies in the United States and the need for more efficient and contextually responsive solutions to the new humanitarian flow of asylum seekers. We hope you enjoy
1: it. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. We're really excited to have you talk with us about immigration and immigration policies today. But before we begin, um, could you tell us a little bit about the Migration Policy Institute and your role in the
2: organization? Sure. So the Migration Policy Institute is an independent, nonpartisan think tank that studies the movement of people worldwide. I work in our U.S. Immigration Policy Program, which focuses on anything related to to U.S. immigration and, and the policy development thereof. Um, specifically, I have a, a legal background. I used to be an immigration attorney. So a lot of what I focus at, at the Migration Policy Institute um, has more of a, a legal lens to it, but that really, you know, stretches the breadth of the immigration system. In the last two years, a lot of what I've focused on is just keeping up with um, the, this administration and, and the multitude of policy changes they have going on.
1: That's actually very interesting because that leads into my next question. Um, So under this presidency, the United States has taken a hardline stance on border control. Um, Now, how effective is the use of standard deterrence tactics and increased prosecution for border violations or for tackling illegal immigration? Or what are the advantages or conversely, the drawbacks of implementing such policy? Sure, so a
2: lot of these deterrence measures at the southern border, just like prosecution you mentioned, um, they actually have proven to be effective at traditional unlawful flows, at deterring traditional unlawful flows at the southern border. Um, The Border Patrol implemented something called the consequence delivery system slowly over the past uh, about decade and a half, and statistically it does show that that certain types of, of consequences do deter people from. Uh, either trying the first time or trying again to cross the border illegally. The problem that this administration has faced is that the flows have entirely changed, uh, where in the past we saw a lot of single, typically male, but just single adult migrants trying to sneak across the southern border to come into the United States to work. Now, the majority of the flows we're seeing at the southern border are actually asylum seekers. There's no data to show that deterrent measures work on asylum seekers, and certainly just logically, if you're talking about a legitimate asylum seeker, you know, someone fleeing a burning building, they're, they're, they're not going to be deterred by ultimate prosecution, they're just going to flee the, you know, the, the burning building. Um, so they, there's been a lot of drawbacks for the administration trying to implement these traditional deterrence, tax, deterrence strategies in the current environment, because the current environment is just so much different than the one we faced previously.
1: Mm-hmm. And in your work on border security, you talked about developing smart solutions for strengthening the border control. Can you discuss what you mean by smart solutions and what that could mean for the realm of immigration policy?
2: Well, a lot of our recent border security work has has really focused on on who these new flows are and and how to actually address it because we have these this new humanitarian flow and we still have this dated, outdated. Border that's more enforcement first. So we need to update our humanitarian systems at the southern border. And one major issue we have is our asylum system, which is extremely outdated. So right now, if you request asylum at the southern border, you're given a quick preliminary interview. Um, assuming you're able to get through that interview, which most people are, then your file is handed over to a different government agency, the Department of Justice, where you will have a court date before the immigration court. But the immigration court system is so backlogged that you likely won't see a judge for three, four, five years down the line. It'll be a long time before your case is adjudicated. So this system is a really big problem for legitimate asylum seekers because they start living in the United States in a kind of a really precarious situation. They don't know if they're going to be able to stay here. Um, also, their evidence for their case is getting really outdated, mm-hmm. but it's also A problem in that it encourages misuse. You know, even if someone doesn't have a legitimate asylum claim, they can try to use the asylum system as kind of a key to enter the United States. So Mm -hmm. we've recommended changes to shorten the time between requesting asylum and having that ultimate adjudication, thinking that, you know, that way we can give legitimate asylum seekers the peace of mind and security that they need. And then we can, you know, humanely turn around those with less than legitimate claims.
1: That's interesting. Um, Do you mind discussing what you mean by some of
2: these changes? Sure. So so our specific recommendation has to do with what agency is adjudicating the asylum claim.
1: Mm -hmm. Right
2: now, our U.S. immigration agency, um, USCIS, they have this very professional, well-trained asylum corps and what that asylum court does is they adjudicate asylum claims for affirmative asylum seekers, which means people who are already in the United States. Mm-hmm. So, for example, let's say there's a, <clears throat> a student here from, from Nicaragua who's studying and then suddenly realizes that it, it's too dangerous for him or her to return home. If that student applies for asylum, that's called an affirmative application, and that, that application will be adjudicated by this USCIS asylum court. One of the Asylum Corps' other responsibilities is um, credible fear or the, the initial preliminary interview that's given to arriving asylum seekers at the southern border. So we have this very well-trained Asylum Corps conducting these initial preliminary interviews. Um, and like I said, most people get through those interviews. Then the file is entirely handed over to a different government agency. We think this is really inefficient. Um, also, you know, not only because we have two agencies touching the file um, even though the court will ultimately have to look at the case de novo, like, they, you know, they've never seen it before.
0: Mm-hmm. But
2: also, um, it's inefficient because the, the immigration court system requires so many more resources to conduct these adjudications than the USCIS asylum for. If you have an adjudication before a USCIS officer, it's just that officer doing it. If instead you go through to the immigration court, you know, you're, you're going through the whole rigmarole of going into a court system, and then there's all of the people that, that work in both in the courtroom and then behind the scenes of the courtroom. So there's a lot more going on there. Mm-hmm. It's also much more intimidating for the asylum seeker. So our recommendation is that the government keep these asylum adjudications with the USCIS Asylum Court. We think that that way we could shorten the adjudication time down to months rather than you know its current of years.
1: Oh. All right. And speaking of asylum speakers and efficient policies at the border, um, there's been talk of a DNA testing policy being rolled out at the border to ensure uh, against human trafficking and make sure that the families that are showing up at the border are actually related. Um, Do you have any comments or predictions of how this kind of policy would work or do you, you know, in your opinion, do you, do you find it to be an effective mechanism or do you think it would cause more of a
2: backlog? There are a few problems with this policy. In general, it's a good idea to to investigate trafficking situations. Certainly we wanna make sure that relationships are legitimate between the children and, and the parents or rather the adults that they're traveling with. Um, but there are, are a few problems here. So first, our our system is very taxed at the southern border. Traditionally, when you arrive at the southern border, if you're claiming asylum, you're processed first by Customs and Border Protection, our, our border agency, and then you're handed over to Immigration and Customs Enforcement, uh, which is traditionally our interior enforcement agency for processing. Right now, we're so overwhelmed at the southern border that that ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, isn't even processing these migrants, they're, they're just being released by customs and border protection. So it's a little laughable to think that we could even add an extra layer to processing when we aren't doing the, the processing that we had traditionally been doing at the southern border.
1: Mm.
2: Then second, we don't know how big of an issue fraud is at the southern border. Unfortunately, um, the ways our laws are structured and the ways the administration is interpreting those laws they believe that if if a child is traveling with an adult that is not his or her parent or legal guardian, that that is a fraudulent family and that they should be separated, which mm-hmm. is really unfortunate because, of course, we see a lot of non-traditional family structures at the southern border. We see children traveling with aunts and uncles and grandparents or just even older siblings.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and unfortunately, when the administration is reporting on fraud in these family units, they don't distinguish out non-traditional family structures versus people they think are just, you know, have found this kid and just blatantly trying to use them um, to be counted as a family unit and limit their ultimate immigration detention. Um, so, so I, in general, you know, investigating trafficking, of course, is a good thing, but I don't know if that's the best use of our resources right now.
1: hmm that makes sense. That's fair. And since the since the midterm elections, um, there has been a shift in political power at the congressional level. And in light of all of the recent government shutdowns that have happened this year and the upcoming 2020 presidential elections, do you expect to see a shift in migration policy as well? Do you think that's something um, that the, this policy or this hardline stance towards the southern border will change now. Is that expected in the in the next few years what do you What do you think?
2: Well, I, I mean the President certainly thinks that this politically this is a good issue for him to focus on, and that politically it's beneficial for him to continue to be hardline on this issue, even if he's not very effective on the ground. His base likes to see him fighting the good fight in their minds. Um, so I definitely think that the President will continue to be very active on this issue and and certainly just the the last month or so has proven that with the cleaning of house, they did at the Department of Homeland Security mm-hmm. and the ways that they're they're trying to to set out an even more hardline immigration agenda. so I would expect Um, the administration to to stay very active on immigration over the next two years, but also, especially because the situation at the southern border doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon, Mm -hmm. we're definitely going to have a dip going into the summer, we always have a seasonal dip um, with the higher temperatures, Um, but then I would expect those numbers to come back up in the fall. Um, And the administration really hasn't set out a policy that yet that that seems to be very effective at reducing these flows.
1: Mm -hmm. So
2: this is going to continue to be a struggle for the administration and and knowing about the upcoming election. I'm sure they'll they'll also make it a political focus.
1: Mm -hmm. That's fair. That's fair to expect. So we don't you don't think there's going to be any sort of maybe compromise coming up in the next two years, considering that the Congress has, um, you know, the Congress is now democratic. Do you think that, would, or the House of Representatives is now democratic? Do you think there's going to be a bit of a shift in the kind of ways we're talking about these policies?
2: Well, Congress has not passed any real immigration-related legislation since President Trump took office. Mm-hmm. Um so even in all that time that he had a Republican House and a Republican Senate nothing on immigration got through uh, all everything he's accomplished has been unilateral and I would expect that pattern to continue certainly there's been this effort originally originating from the White House um to mm-hmm. to kind of draw up some big compromise on immigration but I find it very unlikely that that is something that could ultimately get through um, I'm hopeful that maybe something could happen on, on DACA, deferred action for childhood arrivals or, mm-hmm. or dreamers, um, in the next two years because that that DACA program <clears throat> that was originally started by President Obama is being held um upheld by, by courts right now, but it could, you know, face kind of a negative end before the Supreme Court over the next year. Mm-hmm. So it it'd be nice to see Congress to come together on that. But the last time as the last few times, really, it got, Congress came close on doing something on the Dreamers. The White House was kind of a wild card. They they inserted a, a bunch of other provisions that they said you know they needed to see included in in a Dreamer bill um, that were just too much for for Congress to handle, even in a Republican
1: mm-hmm. House
2: and Senate. Um, and those those negotiations died have died multiple times. So the so you know another issue is that the White House is such a wild card. Um, in these negotiations, I so I'm I'm not hopeful that a lot's going to happen in Congress over the next two years, but I certainly think that unilaterally the administration will will continue to be very active.
1: So, in this kind of an environment, how does that uh, affect your work? And what are the, some of the next steps for Migration Policy Institute? How do you navigate and continue your research and your work um, with these kind of circumstances?
2: Well, a lot of what we're doing is focused on on the southern border and just uh, trying to keep up with with what's happening and and where these flows are originating from and and why they're happening. Um, So I expect that to continue because we don't know, we don't really see the end of of these higher flows anytime soon. Mm -hmm. Um, We'll also, you know, continue keeping up with what the administration is doing because they've been very active on immigration in a lot of small little ways that kind of add up to... to, uh, a much bigger picture, and, and really they're enacting changes that, that I think will seriously change the immigration system going forward. Um, but at the same time, we also know that immigration is far overdue for um, a real reform, mm-hmm. so we're slowly working on, <clears throat> excuse me, an agenda to to kind of create what, what our ideal picture of what the immigration system would be. That's one interesting thing about the President Trump's presidency is he's he's uh, viewed both illegal and legal immigration as a negative, a net negative mm-hmm. for the country. And he's the first president in modern times to do that. But you don't hear a lot of voices on the other side saying, you know, we need an increase in immigration or we need to keep immigration at its current levels. I think there's a lot of people unsure out there of, of what does the ideal picture of an immigration system look like for the United States. And so we're kind of slowly trying to piece that together.
1: All right. Thank you so much. We'd love to um, see it when it comes to fruition. Do you have any yeah. ideas of um, you know, when you might be coming
2: out, rolling out such a, such a policy framework? I, you know, it's going to be a long and slow process over the next couple of years, but definitely keep an eye on <clears throat> our website, which is migrationpolicy.org. We're regularly putting out reports, um, you know, both forward-looking ones, like the ones we just discussed, but mm-hmm. also reports that just explain, you know, what is actually going on right now and, and why is it an issue or, or why is it good?
1: All right. Uh, it was a pleasure uh, just speaking to you. And uh... We're so grateful for all of the work that you're doing. This sounds very interesting. And uh, I'm sure that our listeners would love to find out more, which they can, at your website. And uh, we look forward to great things from you.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being here.
0: To our listeners, thank you for joining us for this episode of the Cornell Policy Review Podcast. If you are interested in receiving notifications for future podcasts and articles, please subscribe to our mailing list on the CPR website. You can also find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter.